0: Back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At Gut Check, we make it our business to understand brands. And over the years, we've learned that gutsy brands have a lot of common factors. We've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and demonstrate the power of and. Those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. Gut Check CRO, Jess Gedeke, a former leader at Nielsen, had the chance to speak with Todd Kaplan, the CMO of PepsiCo. Todd leads the flagship brand Pepsi. Todd's impact on Pepsi has been vast. He oversees all brand creative, communications, and commercial execution across Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, and Pepsi Zero Sugar, as well as builds the long-term strategy and new product innovation for the brand. Wow, that's a big job. Todd's widely looked at as influential, snagging a spot as one of 2019's top 25 most innovative CMOs in the world and one of 2022's top 30 marketers on LinkedIn. In today's episode, Jess and Todd chat about Pepsi's empathetic strategy, the bold moves they have made with their initiatives, and why Todd believes you should never accept that something can't be done. And though Jess plays it pretty cool, thanks to all her preparation, she was fangirling during this interview. Grab your favorite Pepsi beverage and listen to another episode of the Gutsy's Brands Podcast.
1: Todd Kaplan. I think you know how excited I've been for this conversation. (laughs) Uh, I'm a big fan of your marketing mind, but also the EQ that you bring to the discipline. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. Really, really excited.
1: So tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Introduce yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Todd Kaplan. Uh, I uh, lead marketing for the Pepsi brand here in uh, North America. Um, been at PepsiCo for uh, I mean, like over 15 years now. A variety of different roles, uh, rotating around everything from sports marketing to Mountain Dew to innovation to uh, created new brands, new water brands, uh, bubbly sparkling water, Life Water, all sorts of fun stuff over the years. Um, you know, from Southern California originally. Um, you know, and now live out here in New York. So uh, yeah, I don't know how deep you want to go or where else you want to go with it. <laughs>
1: That's a good foundational start because we're going to get into quite a bit of your time at PepsiCo. Um, okay. But first, I'd love to just ask you, what was your very first job as a kid?
2: No, my my first like paid job. It's funny. My first summer, I had a a dual kind of thing. I had like I was a towel boy at the pool at the waterfront hilton and huntington beach
1: <laughs> Very uh, i grew up
2: psychology. in seal beach um, and so i would just sit there in like a straw hat and get all tan and watch everybody in their swimsuits giving them towels and hanging out which was pretty uh pretty awesome but then i would also had an internship that summer trying to kind of learn about business at the same time so that was my paid job and had an unpaid mm-hmm internship where I was just trying to figure stuff out. So,
1: yeah. So I like that contrast and I feel like that has been true to your career. And certainly you have one of the coolest jobs today that again, we'll get into more detail. So I'd love to start with one of the characteristics that we really admire in Gutsy Brands is leading with empathy. And from a market standpoint, you know, to us, that means that you have a genuine, passionate, Uh, understanding of the human experience. And you really can show people that you get them. You can walk in their shoes and deliver these empathetic brand experiences. And I I feel like you're someone that I would call an empathy activist. You you have a strong point of view on this. So I'd love for you to, to talk to us about how the Pepsi brand purpose leads with empathy and why that's so important.
2: Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, at the end of the day, our job as marketers is to, I mean, I don't know how you can be a marketer and not be empathetic, because that is literally our job is to better understand um, what's going on in our consumers' heads, hearts, lives, feelings, all of that stuff, so we can provide good services and things that help address what they're feeling, what they need, how to uh, you know, connect all those dots. And so from a Pepsi standpoint, Um, you know, a few years ago when I came onto this business and, um, we rebuilt the brand positioning and it was all based on our consumers and a consumer insight. And one of the the biggest misnomers at the time was, um, Pepsi had typically been targeting the youth generation and the next generation and trying to, to be, you know, younger and cooler and all of that stuff, which is great. But, um, you know, one of the real insights we looked at from a consumption standpoint was that, um, you know, if there's people who are drinking a lot of Pepsi, uh, those people also switch categories, you know, with our competitor and stuff. And it's easier to get them to drink one or two more Pepsis a month rather than somebody who's this new young kid who doesn't participate in the category to drink one. And mm-hmm. so let's say, let's click into that consumer base and see who they are. And from a demographic standpoint, you could say like, okay, well, they skew older, they skew more Midwestern, they skew more this, that, the other. And you're like, is that your design target that you really want to go after? And he said, well, let's, to your point, empathetically peel at the onion a little bit and understand who these people are. And as you got into it, there was this shared mindset between our most loyal consumers around this idea of what we call unapologetic enjoyment. And it really stems from this insight um, that there is a shared mindset from people uh, who you know, overindex on on drinking more Pepsi than others, but also it's a shared mindset around a lot of humans, where it's this moment where um, you want to prioritize your own enjoyment over everything else in that moment, even in the face of judgment or constraints. And so examples of that, you know, to get less brand-speaky are, you know, they clap at the end of the movie, they... Uh, you know, dress and head to toe, uh, you know, sporting gear when they're in enemy territory, they'll go karaokeing. they'll, you know, eat the piece of cheesecake for dessert when you know, you shouldn't, right. And, and so it's these little moments in life, and we all have them every day. And a lot of times you feel judged, you'll have self judgment, um, sometimes with like, things like COVID, you'll feel constrained, or you won't be able to. And it's like, you know what, Effort. I'm just going to go for it and do what works for me and enjoy unapologetically. And so we've positioned the Pepsi brand, which has always been around enjoyment, right? Think of the joy of Pepsi, the joy of Cola, and just these these joyful occasions, like being at a backyard barbecue or a baseball game um, and taking it to this level of like, we want to stand for people who um, enjoy it unapologetically. And uh, as a nice brand point of view for us, this really helped you know, everything started from there and it's kind of gone, you know, from that in terms of how we've activated the brand. And it's really uh, been been a game changer. So we've really turned this brand around back into growth from an equity and a business standpoint. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's tremendous, and I, I love that North Star of unapologetic enjoyment. And, and you mentioned that during COVID, people felt some constraint. So I would like to talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, we've got some data. It's called Gut Economics as our program, but it looks at economic and societal trends through the lens of the human experience. And one of the things that we've measured is how emotions are changing so rapidly. Um, we had a May uh, data set that showed some hope and excitement among people, and there's a little underlying fear, but really it was like a lot of positive emotion. Fast forward two months in July, we're seeing waning optimism. We're seeing fear and frustration, you know, become a bigger thing. So I'm I'm curious uh, from your point of view, how does your marketing messaging change or should it change based on fluctuating emotions?
2: Yeah, I think it comes down to this idea of agility that I've always been um, preaching to the team of making sure that we keep our ear to the ground on culture and be very culture first. Uh, You know, we call it culture in versus brand out. And it's really this idea of um, as culture moves and changes, it doesn't mean you need to change what you do because of it. You're always going to be true to your brand point of view, which as I just shared is unapologetic enjoyment for a brand like Pepsi. So then the question is, as the world changes, how does that point of view manifest in the new cultural context created by the world, which as we know, Changes on a weekly basis, as we've seen over the last handful of years, and so as COVID happened, yeah, um, it, what started as hey, just being judged for you know dancing at a sporting event or doing whatever, you're judged by your peers it's just judgment. Now this element of constraints comes in even more so, where you're locked in your home and you're you're doing all these other things, and so to that point, as the as the the tea leaves started to change, even that moment you're talking about, I remember in the the spring, just as the first wave of the pandemic was starting to get a, a creak of light, you know, the vaccine was out there, people were starting to say, you know what, maybe we can get out there. We we built this piece of work called The Mess We Miss, uh, which really, you know, illustrated and brought to life these moments that were normal pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic felt a little, oof. you know, people holding hands, you know, in, in a tub of popcorn, people You know, um, at a concert with, you know, all the sweat and beer flying around everywhere and at an all-you-can-eat buffet, grabbing shrimp cocktail by the fistful openly, you know, all these things that just seem like normal, you know, human things now seemed a little different. But this concept of, man, that's the mess that we miss, that, yeah, life was a little messy, but let's get out and enjoy unapologetically and free ourselves from some of these constraints, obviously responsibly. Um, it was just a nice way to do it, and so we we always look at the kind of cultural context as we're we're doing everything as a marketer to make sure it resonates. Because I think context is one of those things that not enough people really uh, account for in their in their plans.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you say context, tell me more about what you mean by that. I think I know what you mean, but elaborate a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And um, you know, a, a friend of mine, Gary Vaynerchuk, used to say, "If content is king, context is God." Right. And it's this concept that um, and I, I believe wholeheartedly that that idea where basically you spend all this time building a message, building an ad, building a what out campaign, something like that. But you spend very little time understanding how it's received on the other end and especially today where, hey, let's say you make an ad and it's on Facebook, it's on TV, it's on Instagram, it's it's on many different conduits at the same time. And, and if I'm watching, am I watching, you know, this is one of the things on social media, am I watching it with the sound off? Am I watching it in the context as I'm scrolling through my feed, looking for other things, or am I trying to go deep and really get distracted and watch a two-minute webisode on whatever, right? Um, am I watching it while I'm multitasking, doing something else, like when I'm scrolling through my phone on the couch, or am I watching it really focused? And it's all different. That's just a very example of just the, the mediums are now mobile and moving and contextually relevant. And then you have the cultural macro landscape above it. So I'm in a place where um, we're at war or where, you know, there's racial strife or there's a pandemic or there's other things that are permeating that cultural context. So it's the same idea where when COVID happened. We had an ad, you know, we had an ad up called That's What I Like um, that was really about unapologetic enjoyment. It showed a guy dancing in a sports stadium at a sporting event unapologetically. It showed a guy dancing at an airport uh, while he was working at the airport. And it showed um, a guy dancing in a subway. Again, all three places that culturally you don't want to be in once COVID hits. Those are the last three places you want it to be. And so we had to pull them off the air and things like that. So I think that's where it context really matters. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. I love that. And I think that often that context can be forgotten. And I I feel like in that context is where you truly understand the human experience. It's where you can truly understand how to make those connections um, and understand those gaps in the emotional experience. So completely agree. Context is God. (laughs) (laughs) So another aspect that we really like to, to talk about when it comes to gutsy brands is standing behind bold ideas, even if they're not well understood at the time. And when I think about NFTs and I think about Pepsi's role with NFTs, I feel like that fits that characteristic to a T. And from what I understand, you personally kind of got into NFTs and nerded out a little bit, and you brought a lot of the thinking to Pepsi in terms of how to to go after that space. What does it take to build conviction for an idea that I'm sure so few people in your organization even understood at all? How do you do that?
2: It's It's hard. Uh, And frankly, I'm still doing it on that front. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people are still trying to understand and wrap their head around web three. And it's, uh, it's not an area where I saw myself nerding out and and doing that. But I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and got curious and started to see all this potential in the future. And I think that's one of the things I'd say, I can often sometimes see some of the, you know, or have ideas around, hey, wouldn't this be interesting to apply this in this way or that way? And can see the potential and how breakthrough some of these ideas could be, which then gets me saying, Hey, I got to go run around the building and see how I can get these things done. Um, And it's hard, especially when you're educating people on, well, what the hell is it? Why do I need this? There's a lot of risk. What do we do here and how do we navigate it? And so it is a little bit of a um, there's a lot of wiring and that's something that I'd say any idea. I've always been somebody who, um, I like to work in service of the idea, uh, not have the idea. Just work in service of us or whatever, right? And so mm-hmm. for the right ideas, and um, sure. so for some of these things that I really think could be game changing, um, you got to tell and explain to people what's the benefit, why is it helpful, what's the risk. You got to also be flexible with it that you're not going to be able to do everything you want, and how to kind of dial things back and up and down, and so. I've been running around educating a lot of folks here in the building, getting everyone excited, but also trying to move quickly on some of these things. And we got our Pepsi mic drop uh, was our first NFT series that we got out there, which was uh, very successful and was a free drop for for fans. And we've done a couple more uh, activations of that since, uh, which have been great and have a big roadmap now of where we're going and what we're planning and all of that, which is really exciting. Uh, But in the meantime, internally, we now have a a huge corporate task force that's uh, looking into web three, figuring out how with other brands, how do we want to structure things? How do we educate our legal team, our finance team, all the different layers. And uh, I think that's part of the battle is you need to, um, you need to figure out how to bring people along early and often uh, and educate them in a way where it's simple enough to understand, you know, what the benefit is to the organization. And this isn't just some one-off random idea. Sure. So
1: what is that benefit to the organization? What are you hoping to accomplish in the building this community and tapping into it?
2: I think there's a lot of, I mean, the, the web three, you know, stuff is limitless. I think where a lot of it can go. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people are bringing like their web two kind of thinking into this space where they're like, I don't understand it, it's because this is the equivalent of inventing the internet, but just done differently. Right. So it's like web one more than it's like web two, but it, um, you know what it is? Is it's really? Um, I think the ideal, the idea of brands being able to build one-to-one communities with consumers, but doing it in a secure way where privacy and controls and all this stuff that right now you hear about a lot of the Web two companies who they run and they have all the data and they it's a it's kind of these castles where oh we have the privacy and we won't give you we would, but you know um, now it's decentralized right so one-to-one you know consumers have their anonymity, but you still have the data capture and all that, but you also have the ability to build community. Um, You can build tokenization with that community. So through an NFT that can unlock experiences, whether they're real life utility, whether it's a metaverse experience, as that starts to take form. I also think it's fascinating thinking about our business, which is very tactile and real in-person products and stuff like that how do you show up you can't eat or drink anything in the metaverse yet right and yet <laughs> right yet uh, so you know maybe we show up as a music brand as pepsi or maybe we do some other really interesting things and so i think there's a a whole bunch of stuff we can do to really uh disrupt their business and uh, from a, from a brand building standpoint and uh potentially generate revenue uh, as well there's a lot of revenue generating opportunities you think of the smart contracts and being able to you know um multiple you know the licensing the transaction at the end of the day of what percent uh even in secondary sales and things like that there's um you think of these storied rich iconic brands there's a lot of opportunity on many fronts Mm
1: -hmm. yeah the whole idea of branded content in this way is just really fascinating and so far-reaching how do you avoid what could be just a shiny object versus something that's real
2: yeah, I think that's and that's frankly, a lot of the stuff you're seeing right now is shiny objects in the space of, hey, we're having a, a thing in Roblox or we're doing a thing over here in Fortnite or whatever. it's like, it's cool. And yeah, you can chase a headline and you get out there first or early and people say, hey, here's the latest brand to do this and this. And it's cute, but it's um you need a real sustainable uh, behavior around it. And that's basically what we've been building right now is trying to figure out um. What is going to be our always-on approach in Web3? What is the overall, you know, if I think about back then. Uh, I'm talking about Web2 of like, I remember when Twitter and Facebook and all these places came out is people didn't have social media man, managers for brands. People weren't making ads for these spaces. People were doing all that. And now that's like, hey, who's your community management person? Who's your person doing this? And that, like, it's all second nature. And I think it's getting that muscle smart enough to know, what do you want to build in-house? What do you want to outsource? How do you want to do that as an always on is kind of what we're what we're looking at.
1: Yeah. Well, no shortage of fun challenges for you, but I continue to watch what you're doing there. It, it's certainly gutsy. And speaking of gutsy moves, I mean, the Super Bowl halftime show, just quick shout out for the 2022 show. Holy smokes. That was phenomenal. (laughs) Um, And the digital experience that was provided as part of that as well. So I'm curious what's next for Pepsi engaging with the Super Bowl as such an influential cultural event that it will continue to be.
2: Yeah, we're uh, I mean, we're longtime NFL sponsors. We just renewed our NFL agreement. We're going to be Part of the nfl uh this season and, and beyond for many many more years per our our renewal super bowl um pepsi is historically uh the most associated brand with the super bowl we actually found with consumers uh, we've had storied ads over the years from cindy crawford to you name it you know and everything in between um the halftime show the pepsi bowl halftime show obviously we've had a 10-year run uh this last year we decided uh not to renew and to actually um decide to kind of do something else that we're still kind of forming out what we want to do with that and and where it'll be but uh it's really you know a great property and a great platform that we're going to continue to be a part of the super bowl uh in one shape or another um it's just a matter of what and when and how we want to go do it but uh yeah and it's a great it's a great event that the nfl puts on and everybody so we we want to be a part of it do
1: you annually take like a major vacation after the Super Bowl? Is like the Pepsi <laughs> team just, oh my gosh, let's rest.
2: Yeah, there's usually it's it's spot on. There's typically a big vacation after Super Bowl where it's just like, all right, everybody shut down, you're done for the week. Uh, and then similarly, um, sometimes we have these big meetings uh over the summer, you know, this thing called AOP, which is like a big annual operating plan where we sell in our our whole plans for the next year. And it's a lot of work getting all that, and then it's just like phew, yeah, you know, take a little bit. I'm actually going on vacation soon as well, which will be nice. So.
1: Good for you. You deserve that. It feels like you do a lot of sprints, which is probably part of the method, but also probably feels a little mad
2: sometimes. It's It's a little bit of both because it's like you want to be culturally relevant and contextually relevant for all the stuff we just talked about in Agile, which does require being, hey, an idea came up last week and we want to launch it next week. Go, go, go. Let's figure this out quickly versus traditionally it's like, yeah, you got, Hey, here's our plan for briefing the plan for next summer. And you have round one and two and three, and then you produce and they, we have longer lead projects too, to be clear, but there's some things that is, it just kind of depends on what we want to, uh, what we want to go on.
1: Yeah. Well, and that dovetails to where I'd like to go next, which is you as a leader, which I observe from the outside and some working with you, but just truly authentic and, and really intentional, which I appreciate. And one of the things that we talk about when it comes to gutsy leaders is this power of and, and that seeing opportunities where others might force trade-offs. And I've heard that the words that can't be done have a little bit of an effect on you. I think that's something that Makes your skin crawl, from what I heard. So, you know, how do you lead in what could be a highly bureaucratic environment? How do you make the bold moves you do?
2: Yeah, I think it's one of those things. that's funny, and I hear that can't be done quite often, uh, especially in a big company like you said. Um, and it's almost like uh, you know Marty McFly when he hears the words, like, "What are you chicken?" You know, and then he like gets like a not like it's a trigger word for me but it, and again I'm I'm very like cool and calm with it all but it's one of those just like I kind of I'm like I lean in a little more and I'm like oh really because like creatively there's always a way to figure it out it's a matter of are you willing to make the trade-offs do you have the resources can you figure it out can you get it done in time all the other constraints that usually eliminate it but creatively if you think about things anything can really be done if we wanted to and so Um, you know, the question is, you know, we walk around here a lot and I always say this idea of take no as a request for more information and how you, um, you know, are dealing with our legal team, you're dealing with our finance team, our R&D team. These are all great people doing great work, doing their jobs, trying to advise on how to best um, mitigate risk or do something with the right quality control or do something the right way that might not always line up with the time frame or the creative idea or whatever, you know, if, you have a really cool idea, but then you got to put two paragraphs of legal copy right underneath it on the front of the thing, like it might not get right. the same, right? And so as a marketer, you're always going back and forth, trying to make decisions for the right idea, but that also de-risk, uh, you know, the enterprise, because we are part of a a massive, you know, 70 plus billion dollar company that um, is often a target for lawsuits and things like that. We got to be very careful.
1: Yeah. So what are some of the characteristics of your leadership that allows you to really make headway?
2: There definitely is a degree of persistence. Uh, I can be annoying (laughs) as all hell. And just (laughs) even when things get killed, I kind of keep them in my pocket. I'm like, I'm still going to bring it back at a later date and try and find the right way to package and resurface this. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of persistence. Um, There's a little bit of... um, you know, um, I'd say this entrepreneurial knack. Um, you know, I, you know, I started a couple of businesses when I was in college. I'm very entrepreneurial natured, uh, very scrappy. Like to kind of make it all happen on the spot. And so I kind of the idea of bringing people together and saying, "Hey, what if we did this? What do you think about that?" And all that. And then I'd say the other one is probably around, um, you know, storytelling and and communications. Uh, you know, I do a, a I teach a class here. Uh, every year with our interns, it's about storytelling and about how to tell an effective story and through PowerPoint and all this kind of stuff. And I think there's just a lot of just simple human truths around how you package stuff and how you, you know, present stuff to different audiences to make sure they can connect with and understand and relate to the material and understand where you're going so that they want to get on the same side as you and, and help you achieve it. So I think those are some of the ones I'd flagged.
1: They're so important, especially storytelling to bring people along. And you you mentioned it earlier that if you bring people along early and often and you keep them as part of that story, it probably helps build your case as well. So um, and the other part that I was reflecting on with the power of and is just your job. I feel like you have the most badass combination of jobs. You're CMO of the Pepsi brand, which is kind of a big deal, which means you got to manage the business side of things with precision. But then you get to, you know, collaborate with Snoop Dogg and he's like, you know, crazy influential artists and you're doing all this cool. I mean, how do you actually create or earn, I'll use the word earn, a job like that?
2: Um, Not easy. I mean, I've been around here for a while, like I said, and I feel like, you know, you show you can drive the business and you can inspire a large organization and you have a bit of a cultural sensitivity and and all this stuff, but it's all... um, listen, I, uh, there are days where I don't, you know, even believe that I, you know, some of it as well. It's a, it's, it's a very fun job where it's very dynamic too. And I think, as you mentioned, it's funny, a lot of people in the marketing community, they just think, oh, you're just making cool ads or doing some music stuff. It's like, we're driving the business on this brand, right? I am talking to Walmart and broker and Dollar General, uh, you know, in a bunch of meetings, we have our uh divisions that we work through to kind of get all of our um supply right and figure out how we're showing up locally in the different markets um ran our scorecards and brand analytics so we we have a business to run uh at the end of the day here uh that marketing is really uh, the driving force of on the, on this brand but it uh you know it's it's a very broad thing all the way to innovation new product development and things like that that we do we you know making a lot of new products and innovations. So um, lots, lots going on.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about innovation because, um, you know, some might (laughs) think of the the, uh, PepsiCo and say, Hey, they must, you know, launch a, a bunch of new brands. And it's actually a really big deal to create a new brand. You were, you know, one of the people responsible for bubbly. So talk about what that experience was like at PepsiCo and also why is bubbly so important to the portfolio?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, I remember when I came on, yeah, my job prior to running Pepsi was leading our water portfolio. And uh, at the time, um, you know, the water category like it's still going today was growing gangbusters. And uh, all we really had in the category was Aquafina, which is a great um, quality, you know, mainstream water still is today uh, was the number one mainstream water and doing great. But uh, you looked at sparkling water, you looked at alkaline water, premium water, coconut water, everything growing, growing, growing. And the question is, you know, hey, take this job, Todd, what should we do? Uh, And everyone in the organization had a different point of view from, hey, buy this company. Hey, start this. Hey, stretch Aquafina's brand over to here. Hey, do that. And of course, there's a million different opinions. Like we just started this conversation around empathy. Um, So step number one for me is like, okay, I'm listening to all the stakeholders. What do we got? Okay, here's where the the lay of the land is. I'd say, well, why don't we start with the consumer? And what I really learned is that um, the way that the business looks at water is very different than the way that people look at water, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. the business looked at it through, we have a lot of these uh, companies like IRI and third-party data uh, folks who classify based on the product attributes. So it'll say like, um enhanced water, for example, versus still water, right? And that's how they have it cut. And by that kind of definition, um, smart water, which was Coke's premium water, because it has electrolytes in it, is an enhanced water. Mm-hmm. Another enhanced water is like um sobe or something like that, that is a colored, you know, flavored water, which is very different from that. And I'm like, I don't think consumers see those products the same way. Like, that's yeah. weird that we bucket it like that, and so you know, consumers would say this, that's premium water or that's, you know, flavored water or something. And so we basically did our own segmentation and tried to say, well, why do people drink water? And it turns out there was five core reasons why people drink water and need states and things that would map to each of them. And then we'd lay out our portfolio and say, okay, we have Aquafina for this one, but we don't meet this need state here, which was going to be met by sparkling water. We don't meet this need state here, which is where premium water really addresses it, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the first year, we, you know, uh, created this brand called Life Water, which is a premium water that the real insight starting with a consumer lens is that the, uh, you know, you, you have these one liter bottles that you carry around with you to meetings and in your purse and in your backpack. And uh, it almost acts as a badge or an accessory. Reading the packaging is almost more important than what's on the inside of the bottle. They're both important. So I said, what if we put art on the outside of the bottles and we use it as a platform to support emerging artists as a purpose-driven brand and we change it every so often. So we created Life Water and it became the biggest launch uh, in our company's history at the time. And then we said the next year, we said, let's create another new brand in sparkling water. And uh, the insight was really um, around this notion that people were essentially looking for the fun of a soda with the permissibility of a water. And when you Mm -hmm. looked at all the stuff in the sparkling water space, it was about and blue and made with all of this kind of, you know, natural, you know, stuff good for you, but it didn't feel fun. And that's frankly what LaCroix uh, almost accidentally fell into with just some quirky, weird packaging that looked a little retro, was adopted as such. But, you know, LaCroix had been around for 30 years before that and hadn't really um, done a lot with it. And so we said, hey, I think we can build a better mousetrap. So, we found this insight with the core audience, the millennial uh, target that is really drinking in this category, that um, adulting is hard uh, and there's these little moments of playfulness they want to have in their life. So whether it's sending each other a gif or a text or a fun little, oh, it makes you smile. And so we built this brand uh, called Bubbly Sparkling Water that everything from the packaging and the logo and the brand experience on up from... The little you is the smile and bubbly and the little face on the side and the little tab that says hi-oh, and hey you" and fun little things. and these bright, bold colors, these really broad, rich flavors, uh, launched it in a big way, um had a lot of fun with it. And uh, yeah, and that right now is, you know, we hope that it was one of our next billion dollar brands uh, when it's all said and done, and has been uh, it's been doing great.
1: I'm sure you still keep tabs on that. I'm sure you watch I it carefully. You. I do, <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole topic of innovation, I feel like could be a whole nother separate conversation. But One thing I will ask your point of view on is a lot of companies, especially CPG right now are saying, hey, given the economic uncertainty, given what's going on with inflation, now is not the time for us to innovate. How do you feel about that point of view?
2: I think I feel the opposite of that point of view. Um, I think the more there's constraints, the more there should be creativity. Like, And so creativity almost works the same way as a diamond, that the narrower and the, the tougher um, things are, I think it fuels uh, creativity. Look at the pandemic. There are some companies that just shut down and said, I, I can't, I don't know where to go. There are others that that became a catalyst for just creativity and stuff coming out and really interesting stuff. Cause you're like, oh my gosh, like. The rules have now changed. Now I can't go to the store. I can't, you know, do this in public. I can't do this. I can't do that. Like that, you know, creativity requires a lot of, um, I call creative tension to make things work. And so innovation to your point, um, innovation is all about serving consumer needs or unmet consumer needs. And so if things are all working perfectly well, um, the needs are probably primarily being met, Mm -hmm. which is a tougher space to innovate in because you have to find and extract those needs or do a better version of meeting the needs than somebody who's in the place. If things are tough, guess what? Some needs aren't being met. Everything's too expensive in a recession. I can't get this kind of product access. Supply chain issues are preventing me from getting that, whatever the thing is. So there's needs that need to be met, which means if you have the right idea and innovation, you you can get after it.
1: I totally agree. And I think that, you know the word that we use is friction. There's friction right now. People yep. aren't having the experiences they want and they're expecting a lot from brands. And I see that as an opportunity versus a time to be conservative and sit back. And yep. I also think it's when you actually can form those emotional connections Uh, Because people really need brands in their lives right now. And I would also offer, this is just my opinion, but I feel like the things we remember are emotional, right? Those are the things that become memorable. So I'm more likely to be loyal to a brand that meets me where I am in a moment of high emotion. And um, so I think I'm with you. So at least Todd and Jess agree on this one. Like now's the time to innovate. Uh, You have to to be bold, but um, now's the time. Yep. Yep. Very cool. So with the potential recession and and large portion of the population is telling us in our data that if inflation continues to rise, 60% will buy more private label. How does a brand like Pepsi keep its loyalty and market share during these types of economic downtimes?
2: I mean, it's it's hard, right? At the end of the day... um, You know this is it's real in terms of recession in terms of uh you know what you know spending power that people have and all of that but what i would say is also this is where why um you build brands this is the power of what what a brand does versus a commodity right Mm -hmm. at the end of the day um commodities yeah if get it wherever it's cheapest it's a commodity um, there's a reason why you bought those sneakers, why you bought that computer, that car. Um, and it's trickier. Um, it's harder to differentiate in a um, low involvement category, like a beverage, uh, where it costs, you know, seventy nine or whatever, as opposed to, uh, you know, a $30,000 car or something like that. And Differentiate with attributes. And we have the electric sunroof and the run on, you know, electricity or whatever the the differentiators are um, to do it at scale. And because you also are probably already low down on your, you know, your price point where you have to get a certain margin and, and all of that to keep the business afloat, too, to keep everything going. So that is where I would say the power of brand building and the power of brand loyalty and where and how you connect with consumers matters even more. Private label will always be there offering the cheapest paper towel, the cheapest cream cheese, the cheapest beverage, the cheapest whatever. Um, That's what private label is. And it serves a role. Absolutely. It also, uh, many times the product experience is not as good because they're focused on value engineering more than anything else on, it won't be as good of a product experience on a number of attributes. And um, it doesn't really have the same affinity uh, in terms of brand connection points. Again, if you're doing a good job as a brand builder on what that means, what that says about you when you're drinking it in public, what it says to yourself, how you feel when you buy it, when you have, when you hold it. So all those things matter, and that's where I would say, um, you know, a lot of people go to a recession and and will cut, cut, cut. Um, I also think it's one of the times where you should actually lean in more to brand building because it's such a differentiator um, that it'll help kind of drive that wedge and show people what the value is of why your brand matters.
1: Amen. I feel like that was just a syllabus for a branding course, what you just said. So we'll make sure that
2: I I don't know about that, but we'll see.
1: (laughs) So, uh, Pepsi always has cool stuff cooking. So what are some of the recent or upcoming initiatives that you think are really bold?
2: Oh yeah. We always have stuff going on as, as you know, and it's funny versus a lot of other brands in the building where we have just pulses all year long and things that are always going on and so obviously football season underway and there's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on there Um, we're planning all of next year um, some really really big uh, plans we just had that aop process internally to go through our our plans for next year and have some really really exciting um, big programming that we'll do on some of our core business and some of our zero sugar business uh, some really exciting new news that I'm not able to share about you know on the brand as well but uh we we have a lot of fun stuff uh, don't just know we and we also do some of the fun little um culture things as well these things they call culture bombs and so we have we always have a couple tricks up our sleeve so
1: yeah for sure and I know the better with Pepsi campaign got a lot of attention and rightfully so what was the impetus of that
2: yeah, no, it's a great uh, call up. The uh, you know, so it it starts again with um, everything that we do starts with uh, there's a strategic need, but also a, a cultural truth or insight. And uh, strategically, just so you know where our brand sits versus our competitor, um, there's this thing we call situational salience, uh, which is about how what are the situations when I want to desire a Pepsi and where that is. And right now, we had a very big gap relative to our competitor in that space, given. Um, as you think of mealtime and going with food, um, our competitor has a uh, far more uh, deeper presence in food service, in restaurants and things like that than we do from over the years and things like that. And so we really want to close that gap and drive association and remind people that, hey, you have a choice when it comes to your beverage. And just because you go in a restaurant and see something there doesn't mean you have to drink that. And especially now with delivery and all the different stuff and people eating more at home and we said hey there's a real opportunity to remind people and so um you know there was this cultural truth around um although well, the first first is actually say a product truth about our brand that um you know the taste of pepsi uh goes quite well with food and there are certain foods where it really really complements perfectly and so hamburgers um when you think of the taste of a pepsi and the citric acid brings out the flavor of the cheese and the cheeseburger and how it cuts the grease the carbonation um it actually you know tastes quite well with burgers and um you know and but there's this cultural truth happening at the same time where the most popular burger chains don't pour pepsi they pour our competitor and you're like what the hell is that all about um and so i i asked our um our team to do some research and say hey let's let's put this to the test and say hey do we have a taste advantage we found out that we had some preference uh, over our competitor with burgers, and and we built this really fun creative execution where we were able to find the Pepsi logo hidden within the wrappers of McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's. Uh, very cleverly done, um, and this beautiful work from our uh, creative partners Alma uh, that really brought it to life and said "Better with Pepsi." And uh, you know, the real insight was, "Hey, we not we may not be on the menu, but we're always in the picture." Um, you know, it's kind of a fun way to talk about it. And so we launched that, um, you know, on National Hamburger Day with a fun offer for consumers that if people would send a picture of themselves online with a Big Mac, a Whopper, or a Dave Single and a Pepsi, um, we'd pay for the Pepsi. Um, And so it really prompted people to have this conversation around choice and did a very fun, uh, clever, creative way. We brought the mascots of those companies in and had a little bit of fun with it and so it was a really fun campaign and uh you know it's gotten a lot of really great accolades in the industry which is great and won a bunch of one can lions this this past year but uh you know what I'm most excited about is really just the impact it was able to make on the business really closing the gap of situational salience really helping we landed a, a few new burger chains because of you know at the right the same time and it uh it was great. So uh, really a lot of fun campaign, very challenger kind of campaign, just a lot, had a lot of fun with that. For
1: sure. Yeah, no, we, we love that campaign. And I can, I just wish I was a fly on the wall when that discovery of the intersection of the rappers showing the logo, was that just like a holy shit moment?
2: It was a um, it's funny. And I, I talked about this when I was out at can um, with, with Louie me from Alma. And it uh it wasn't like this, Oh, we just found it and saw it. It was, they had pitched this really fun idea showing that you can find the Pepsi logo in a whole bunch of different things. So we found a Pepsi logo in a Snickers bar uh, logo. We found it in a, you know, it was a pasta sauce logo and in a, a this and a that and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, that's interesting. And so as I had some of those discussions with r and I'd say, hey, let's bring the tension in and really can we find it in burgers? And it got really tricky because, McDonald's was one of their clients. And so they had to basically say, okay, and by the way, McDonald's has no blue in their logo. So how would you bring that in and you bring it to the sky? And there's all these fun executions. And then two, um, our legal team and to actually make the Pepsi logo, some of it originally it would require some manipulation of the logos where you need to like, oh, and make the, the globe a little different ways. And our legal team said, you know, you can't go against four of the biggest IP holders in the world, Coca-Cola being the fourth one, um, and um, manipulate their logo, you will get sued. And so he said, back to the constraints, making better creative, you're basically, okay, like we're handcuffed. And we said, aha, uh-huh, what if we did origami uh, and we didn't manipulate anything? And then we just took their wrappers and folded it in the right way. Where it looked like a Pepsi logo. And that's what we did. And uh, we said, better with Pepsi, with it just a circle over a folded origami wrapper that looked like uh, the Pepsi logo. And so that's how we were able to find it and do it the right way. And off we went. So it was a lot of fun.
1: So cool. And talk about seeing opportunities where others might force compromise. So excellent there illustration. There you go. Okay. We're going to move to a somewhat lightning round. Oh, boy. So here, Todd, this is really about you as a consumer or just as an admirer of brands out there. Um, I'd love for you to name top of mind a a brand or a campaign that exhibits each of these dimensions. Okay. You ready?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) So the first one is empathy. What is a brand or a campaign that you really think shows empathy?
2: I'd say Dove, uh, I think does a good job of that uh, with their pure beauty and really, understanding their consumers and not just spitting out what every competitor does the same rinse and repeat, touched up model and saying, Hey, you don't have to look like a supermodel. You don't have to have a body like this. You don't have to do this. You still need soap. You still need lotion. You still need our stuff. We're here for you. And and really celebrating that um, has been a real differentiator. And it really started from empathy.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally true. What about a brand or campaign that was really pioneering? It was sort of a first of its kind.
2: Maybe Tesla, an interesting brand is, and it's like a controversial one right now, but I would say just the concept again, and it really stems less from the brand and more from the product, I guess, experience, but really taking the concept of design thinking rather than saying, hey, we have a gas car and we can also add in electricity and hybrid. It's like, what if we just, Reverse engineered and said we were going to build a car from scratch from gas doesn't exist. (laughs) It's electricity based. Okay. And it's based with the web and it's got a touch screen and it's got an autopilot and cameras built in. It's not like adding things to the existing what is a car. It's rebuild and imagine what a car is, which I thought was uh, an interesting frame.
1: Absolutely. What about a brand or campaign that stands behind bold ideas, even if not well
2: understood at the time? I think Burger King does a great job of that. Uh, as you know, I know uh, Fernando over there and they always have done some great, well, he's now not over there, but they they do great stuff um, and have really taken that idea of uh, a challenger brand to the next level and just having a lot of fun and instigating and they know who they are and they poke the bear and provoke and, and do a lot of stuff.
1: Yep, those are all great examples. So now just back to you, this one's called Spill Your Guts. This is all about you. Personally,
2: so. Oh, jeez.
1: What's the first brand you remember as a child?
2: Probably Fisher Price. It's gotta be Fisher Price. I mean, all the best toys. I used to have like this little, uh, it was called like a speak and spell where you would like type things in and it would just say the words. And, you know, it's like educational toys, but Fisher Price, you know, was all the, all the, all the toys.
1: Yeah. And I think that we were the first generation to really have technology be such a big part of some of our, our toy development um, as kids. So that's a good example. Price. What book or movie best represents your career journey?
2: It's funny. I would say it's funny. One of these, it doesn't represent my journey, but uh, there's a movie that I, I remember when I was young and I watched, it was uh, with Michael J. Fox called the secret of my success. And he's like running around New York with his briefcase. and he's, starting in the mailroom and he's making it happen. And it's like a very cliche eighties kind of, you know, he's carrying a briefcase, wearing a suit. He's like very official, but um, I don't know, something with that, the the hustle, the initiative of that connected with me, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it's just a fun movie. I wouldn't say it represents my journey at all because I'm very right. different journey, but I thought that was just a fun uh, movie that I remember kind of inspired me to go into business
1: same actually so you you stole mine I will say I thought that that's what being in business was I just that you know picture of the boardroom and the hustle and all that stuff maybe you know misrepresenting my identity I don't think that's correct exactly where I was trying to go but uh no the hustle is certainly there correct Um, this one's fun for a guy that works on Pepsi but how would you describe your job to a child
2: we make fun stuff uh you know is it's very just it's you know, we do things to help uh, make people smile at the end of the day, right? I mean, both from our product experience all the way to our marketing. I mean, you know, my kids, I have two kids at home, and they see the stuff. and I always show them like the work I'm doing. And you know, it's funny. you know, when they were very young, they thought I like drove the Pepsi truck, um, you know, and they now know better or they, or when I was working on bubbly and and life water, they thought I was like inventing things and doing r and d and be tasting products at home and talking about it and all this stuff and then now on on Pepsi you know they think i'm like best friends with Snoop Dogg and you know doing whatever so it's right, a yeah, whole maybe.
1: it's <laughs> isn't that real
2: it's yeah <laughs> but it's um you know so it's one of those things that it's uh it's a fun job and i think they like the idea of marketing they've actually seen firsthand the the breadth of a marketing job how it goes everything from r&d to they hear me on my zoom meetings at home with my team all the way to uh, some of these really cool pieces of work that we've developed and launched and TV spots and new products. And it's uh, it's fun. Yeah.
1: What's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that is trying to make their brand more gutsy?
2: I wouldn't try to make your brand more gutsy just for the sake of making it more gutsy. I think it all starts with um, healthy self-awareness, I would say, as a brand. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean a lot of brands aspire to be like, I want to be gutsy, or I want to be this, or I want to be a purpose-driven brand, or I want to be whatever the buzz, I want to be in Web3, whatever it is, that's fine. But it all starts with knowing who you are as a brand and not who you want to be, but who you are and almost how you're perceived today by the marketplace. And that's when I was started on Pepsi. One of the first things I did was, um, you know, as I looked at a lot of the positioning documents before me and where the brand was, it was not really honest with itself and where it was and why. The first campaign that I launched was this thing: um, "Is Pepsi okay?" You know, Pepsi's more than okay. This concept that the most popular um, statement about a Pepsi uh, was people apologizing for it in a restaurant. where you'd order a drink and the server says, "Is Pepsi okay?" and like that's a horrible experience for your brand. Um, we're second. We're famous for being. Number two, uh, in a lot of instances, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. We are a big, great, awesome brand, and we have a stand on our own, and there's nothing to apologize about. And so, acknowledging that cultural truth and flipping it, it's on its head. When the Super Bowl commercial we brought in Cardi B with Oker and you know Steve Carell and Little John, and so things like that. As you so as you get into advice for your brand, if you're a business leader, understand who your brand is, what you're about. And also what you're not about, so you can start from there.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great, great wisdom. And what's the most used emoji on your phone?
2: <laughs> I'd say definitely the fire emoji. Okay. Like oh,
1: that's that's fire. That's hot. That feels that feels like a Todd Kaplan thing. A lot and of then, flames. <laughs> we are compiling and we have a great Gutsy brand playlist. You should check it out. It's pretty epic. So what song would you add to it?
2: Oh, geez, just any song? I mean, what, I don't even what know what. T-
1: Humps you up. Speaking of the fire. I don't but- even
2: know what the frame needs to be, but I would say um I want to say is it called Breaking Bad by uh Meek Mill and Drake? I okay. don't know that one, but it's got a good little beat to it. I love just that last a lot of coming in a way. a sticky keep it my place. Girl, I you, love it, It's a good one, but um Anyhow, it's, it's not like that song has any deep meaning or anything like that. It's That's just okay.
1: That's okay. The, fun, the, the fun playlist song. is multi-purpose. Well, awesome. thank you so much, Todd. We appreciate you so much here at Gut Check. And I have been thank really you. looking forward to this conversation, learned a lot. So appreciate you. And
0: thanks for your time.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Well, Jess, it was obvious that you were not only excited for this interview, but I could see you energizing and the wheels turning in your head as you spoke to Todd. Yeah, and I really don't want to go too fangirl
1: here, but Todd really is an influencer in our industry and his views on empathy, his approach to innovation, how he cares about developing his talent. Plus, I'm sorry, but he just has a cool factor to his job. <laughs> mm-hmm. like these, these are all the reasons I was super excited to talk with Todd and I may or may not have invested a little bit of time prepping for this one.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you did. Now, as always, our guests have a ton of wisdom to share with us and Todd comes from a company I think we all really look up to. So what do you think we could take away from this interview and maybe even apply to our lives or work lives? And I truly could comment on every part of this
1: discussion, but this is not my TED talk. So I will try to focus on the points that I found most salient. Um, first we usually start with empathy and that is embedded in Pepsi strategy. I think it's embedded in Todd as a leader, but also in Pepsi strategy. So Todd talked about empathetically peeling back the onion and arriving at this brand purpose of unapologetic enjoyment. And would he describes that person that claps at the end of the movie and doesn't shy away from karaoke and wears team gear in enemy territory. I mean, I get this person, don't you? Oh, absolutely. As
0: long as it's not the person who claps at the end of a flight. I'm just kidding. But yes, I definitely get this person and I feel like, you know, clapping aside, I am this person. So I aligned with that a lot.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Todd's definition of agility, it's really interesting because it's about keeping your ear to the ground on culture and realizing that as the world changes and it's changing really rapidly nowadays, that your brand point of view manifests, right? It doesn't change, it manifests to those, those contextual conditions. And I loved the example of the mess we missed, um, which sounded like a really cool campaign that I looked up afterwards. It's a perfect illustration of staying true to that unapologetic enjoyment and how that looks different within the cultural context of you know, a post-pandemic or mid-pandemic world when that campaign launched.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we should all be ready for those uh, small changes or context changes. And sometimes it's really hard to pivot from, say, your roadmap if you defined it well. But the whole point is staying very relevant to your market and our market is alive and breathing and changing.
1: And I wholeheartedly agree with Todd's point of view that the time to innovate is during times of constraint or friction. So instead of cutting back, lean into brand building, lean into innovation. Like, yes, bravo. I want to play that part back to clients again and again, because it can be tempting to cut back during times of economic pressure or uncertainty. But if you lean into it, I think there's real return. And I I, I loved his wisdom there. And then in terms of standing behind bold ideas, you know, we talked about web three NFTs and believe me, we could have gone down a few rabbit holes that I'm a newbie and I would have been so lost just out of my depth. But you know, what I think we can all take away in terms of application to our business lives today is Pepsi is not just investing in those things uh, for the sake of doing it or chasing the shiny object. They are investing there to create authentic brand experiences. And as Todd's, you know, helping the organization kind of navigate this new territory, he talked about how you have to bring people in early, bring them in often, educate, you know, it's fascinating to think of everything he's achieving within the Pepsi walls, but also what it's going to mean to consumer experiences and to brand experiences. And, you know, I love that the end of that kind of conversation was about what is the real sustainable behavior around it? Again, it's not just the trend today. It's what's the sustainable behavior that Pepsi can monetize and continue to to build communities around.
0: Right. It's not just a strong brand, but it's a lasting brand. And I think that was really cool to hear his his take on that.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, Todd has probably a dozen initiatives that he could have highlighted in terms of aligning with the characteristics of of gutsy brands, uh, and he shared quite a few today, but. I do want to acknowledge that that better with Pepsi campaign. And for a few reasons, this one stands out to me first, it's such a breakthrough case study on design. And if anyone listening has not seen this, uh, you know, origami factor of burger wrappers that Todd described, you have to go look it up. It is so, so cool. So in terms of a visual identity that really brings a campaign home, it's such an interesting example from that. But the other piece is that it wasn't just a campaign to get noticed or to be great design. It produced results. And he mentioned bringing in some additional restaurant chains as an outcome of that work. And the ability for these creative ideas to thread all the way through to those business results, of course, that's what it's all about, right? And so it's public knowledge that Gut Check supported some of the testing of that campaign. And so for us personally, there's nothing better just to see that and to see it be such a successful campaign for Pepsi.
0: Oh, yeah. And we're very proud of that. And you got to love results. That's fantastic. Yep.
1: And I have to comment on Todd's Freaking energy. (laughs) He's like (laughs) in a constant set of sprints is what it sounds like. And if you think about going from the super bowl and they have their AOP and there's just constant initiatives, something that's cooking. I I, I can't, I don't know where he gets the energy. Um, but it's inspiring for me to, to think of, you know, a no is a request for more information when initiatives are killed, you keep them in the back pocket. I mean, this guy's constantly running. And I just thought that was another very cool factor to hear come through in our conversation. I'm guessing they have soda on tap. You know, get that <laughs> I caffeine. Would so. <laughs> I would think so. So overall, I really think that Todd provides inspiration, wisdom on how to keep growing and leaning into your brand purpose, staying in step with cultural truths, never accepting that can't be done. I mean, if we could just keep up with a fraction of what Todd puts out there, I feel like we can keep the economy moving. So let's do it.
0: Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. You can find Todd's song choice, Going Bad by Meek Mill featuring Drake, on the Gutsiest Brands Spotify playlist. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.